This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, December 18th, 2023. I'm Caleb Brown. Whether you get convenient and considerate medical care might be as simple as a government-created formula to determine the level of need in your area. And your specific needs may simply not be included in that centrally planned formula. Jamie Cavanaugh is an attorney and legislative counsel at the Institute for Justice. She says lawmakers aren't immune to the real stories of human suffering and the physicians who want to offer care to more people. I've said this a a couple of times before, but when you explain certificate of need laws to, you know, a man on the street, uh, it's a lot like civil asset forfeiture uh, in the sense that people refuse to believe that that's how it actually works. That is, you have a a business that would like to expand or establish uh, a facility and they need permission, explicit permission from all of the people who might stand to lose business over that expansion. And it, it is, it, it should baffle people that any state allows any industry, particularly one as important as healthcare, to function that way. I agree. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. Um, that's the response you get from anyone when you explain certificate of need to them. And, you know, we call it a permission slip to open or expand a healthcare facility. But you're right, it's more than just a permission slip. You're not just checking off boxes and filling out a form. You're proving to the government that your service is needed and you know, the, your, your direct competitors get to come in and argue, Hey, you know, we have the market covered. We're serving all the patients. So what kind, what standards apply when people come in and argue that some medical facility, or even like sometimes in some cases, a private practice of a physician, um, how do they argue that it's not needed if the people who are bearing most of the risk are willing to do it? That's a great question. So it it looks different in different states, but a lot of states rely on these formulas that just look at basic population calculations and they look at the number of people who have used a certain service, say, you know, nursing home beds or home health or something like that. They look at the number of people who have actually used that service over the past year or two, and they do some basic calculations about um, population growth. But the The biggest problem with those calculations is that they assume the number of people getting service right now is the correct number of people. In other words, um, there's no way to account for people who aren't getting the service because there's not enough service. All those people who aren't included in that number of patients already being served never get accounted for. Right. It's it's a there's no counterfactual. There's no way to look at the number of people who are uh, angered or frustrated or have to uh, engage in substantial travel in order to get the services that they need. Right. And another thing the formulas can't take into account is um, preferences or specialties. Um, For instance, when I litigated a case in Kentucky with Nepali immigrants who wanted to open a home health agency to serve their community and offer culturally appropriate care and language appropriate care, um, the formula that Kentucky used said, we don't see enough need. There's not enough population growth in Jefferson County to support a new home health agency. But we said, hey, we know tons of people who can't find home health care. Their children, their adult children have to stay home from work, can't go out and work because they have to care for them in the home. Um, so, it, it, But it doesn't matter what kind of evidence you show 
that there are people who are not getting the services they need, the, the state is forced to rely on this black and white formula. It's, it's like something out of the movie Brazil, where you, you have people who are, uh, they're using a formula to judge human needs and human desires. And the people whose human needs and desires are not being met by the current structure are simply not included in the calculation. Right, right. They're blind to the reality. They tell us when we come forth with the evidence, they say we can't consider that. Um, and it's just such a stark example of why this type of central planning does not work and isn't responsive to true need. Now, the upside, that's the downside, right? Certificate of need is terrible. It, we've established that. Um, but many states, uh, you know, particularly southeastern states are the ones that are most likely to have uh, certificate certificate of need laws or at least pervasive certificate of need laws on the books. But a lot of states have have made moves and have decided that finally, decades later, it's time to uh, free up the ability of private health uh, service providers to be able to you know, broadly do what they want. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We're starting to see some big changes around the country. Um, and you're right, you mentioned that it's been, you know, decades of restriction. And I kind of point that out when I'm talking to legislators around the country that we're starting to see the problems, especially with COVID. We saw the shortages in hospital beds, um, states with certificate of need laws. Patients in those states were 27% more likely not to be able to find a hospital bed. Um, and so decades of restricting, artificially restricting the supply of healthcare is starting to catch up with us. And, you know, as the population is aging, we're seeing some really big challenges there. I think that's one of the reasons that so many states now are taking a harder look, a closer look at how certificate of need laws are hurting their their constituents, their populations, and willing to finally make some changes. Yeah. So the the feds originally encouraged states to adopt certificate of need laws because healthcare is expensive and they thought that restricting the supply might actually help. And that's the sort of the ex was the explicit push to get states to adopt it. The feds backed all backed away from that, decided that certificate of need actually, no, it's not helpful. Uh, it doesn't uh, achieve the thing that we wanted it to. Uh, but states in the interim, uh, there are so many interest groups, uh, particularly hospitals and other incumbent service providers that have decided, no, 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 think we like things the way they are just fine. And I asked uh, Dr. Jeff Singer, who's a colleague of mine at the Cato Institute, you know, doctors take a Hippocratic oath. And to the extent that they, they are working for organizations that actively support the restriction of doctors to establish uh, facilities to provide care, well, maybe that's not an explicit violation of the Hippocratic Oath, but man, it doesn't, doesn't look good. It certainly binds their hands. I talk to doctors all around the country who want to offer new um, you know, modalities of care or want to be more accessible um, in, in their communities and can't because of certificate of need and often are afraid to speak out publicly because they don't want to lose admitting privileges to the local hospitals or they're employed by a hospital and are nervous about what, what might happen if they were to publicly say, we need to end certificate of need laws. Is that something that's happened? That's absolutely something that's happened. Um, it was spoken about publicly at um, some legislative hearings in South Carolina uh, this winter, and it's something that I confront all the time. I talk to a lot of people affected by certificate of need laws, and um, you know we're always looking for different types of support from the nursing community, the physician community, and 
a lot of those people, unfortunately, can't publicly support certificate of need repeal, even if they privately tell me, of course, that they know these laws are doing something bad. So uh, South Carolina and Florida have made big moves recently, uh, Florida earlier than South Carolina. But, um, you know, what kind of data should we expect to see? What, what kind of data would be encouraging? What kind of data would be discouraging uh, in the years to come? Uh, because, you know, you have this very nice clean line of where uh, the policy changed. What what are you looking for? That's a really great question. Um, I mean, in Florida, for instance, Florida um, did a huge overhaul in 2019, and most of those changes didn't take effect until 2021. We're already seeing um, big growth in ambulatory surgical centers, which is really important. People would rather have surgeries in a non-hospital setting. They have better outcomes. You have less risk of infection. Et cetera, et cetera, it's less expensive. Um, and some people point to that and say, hey, that's not a good thing for hospitals. But, you know, actually, states without certificate of need laws have more ambulatory surgical centers and more hospitals. It's true in both urban centers and rural areas. So the competition makes everyone do better. All the numbers of both things are increasing. It's not that ASCs open, surgery centers open, and put hospitals out of business. That's the argument that we encounter all the time in states that want to keep certificate of need laws on the books. So that's actually something that's really important to look at in states like South Carolina and Florida. We do see more surgery centers opening in Florida, but we don't see hospitals closing. And that's this argument that we hear over and over that of like, this is the sky is falling thing that's going to happen. But my state is different. I encounter that all the time, too. Um, You know, these studies that, first of all, the studies that we rely on obviously account for a whole host of you know variables to make the data very standardized so we can compare what it would look like in different states. Um, you know, I think that that the my state is different argument sometimes is just based on more fear of of what you're hearing from your local hospital. Your local hospital might be telling you, you know, we can't stay in business without certificate of need, but it's just absolutely not true. If there are more hospitals and more rural hospitals in states that have already repealed certificate of need, and remember at one point every state had a certificate of need law. So any state that now doesn't have them went through this process and repealed their certificate of need laws at some point. Um, So if there are more hospitals per capita and more rural hospitals per capita in those states, um, that, that couldn't be possible if there's this thing that's happening that everyone argues about, that the surgery center's open, the private imaging center's open, and they take all the profitable patients away from the hospitals, and then the hospitals are forced to close their doors. That just does not happen. What about salaries? Because I wonder about workers in hospitals or medical facilities. I can imagine that uh, competition for those workers would be more substantial in states that don't have certificate of need. Is there is there a lot of research on what that looks like? Because if I were making a case against certificate of need, boy, it sure would be nice to be able to point to higher salaries for nurses and, and other healthcare providers. There's some emerging data that show um, that wages are suppressed for healthcare workers by at least 4%. Um, I think one range was 4 to 9%, and there might be some other data um, that, yeah, show that um, healthcare worker salaries are suppressed. So if you think about that, 4 to 9% over the lifetime of your career, um, you're walking away from a lot of money, but also just a lot of opportunity. Like you're saying, a lot of, you know, um, having competition between em- employers obviously um, benefits the employees, gives them better options to negotiate their situations. Uh, after COVID, a lot of physicians have sort of wound down their practices. A lot of people have been, you know, in, in many ways traumatized by the ev- events of uh 
of the pandemic. And uh, we're already facing a, a difficulty with maintaining the numbers of physicians that and other medical service providers, more broadly professionals. Um, does Khan have any impact on that? So certificate of need obviously it, um, hinders opportunity for physicians that want to do something entrepreneurial or, you know, offer new services or do something in a different way. So absolutely, I hear people that want to, you know, do something in their community and can't and decide to locate in a state that does not have certificate of need laws so they don't have to face that barrier. Um, so, you know, there are going to be more opportunities for healthcare providers, for physicians in states without certificate of need laws. What's the next state? Well, a Senate committee in Georgia recently recommended that the General Assembly consider full repeal of certificate of need laws. Um, so Georgia is taking a close look at certificate of need. I think Iowa will be taking a close look this session. Um, Kentucky's been studying certificate of need this summer. It's less clear what might happen in Kentucky. I know that's hard for you, Caleb, your home state. <laughs> there, there will be certificate of need um, um, legislation in lots of other states. There's a bill pending right now, actually, in Maine to um, remove certificate of need requirements for all mental health services and facilities. And especially in light of the Lewiston um, shooting, the sponsor of that bill is saying, you know, we absolutely need to remove barriers to these services. Jamie Cavanaugh is an attorney and legislative counsel at the Institute for Justice. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast anywhere you please. And thank you for listening.